This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Really happy to have you all alongside with us here, as you always are, in the 2 o'clock hour here on ESPN Coastal. We have an interview coming up that we did yesterday with Georgia Southern head coach Clay Helton. You'll have to hear that next. Just breaking down what it's been like for them since spring. Uh, just over 200 days since he took over as Georgia Southern's head football coach. So you'll get to hear that next. Uh, also have some statements from Lane Kiffin that we're going to dive into. But PJ, uh, with with your blessing, I'm going to monopolize the microphone here for a little while, if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Take over, man. Look, uh, Yeah. All right. So put some words down, and I want to share them with you because the people out there, you guys are my family, and I've said it multiple times. This is kind of where I come to process a lot of things, typically in the vein of sports, uh, but we're going to step outside of that. So starting off, Sports Talk Radio is supposed to be your escape, and I understand this completely. It's a moment to decompress from the stresses and rigors of everyday life. That being said, I have a responsibility to recognize when stories and events transcend the day-to-day of this program or any other, when things happen that we cannot smile and willfully ignore. Such an event happened yesterday in Uvalde, Texas. It's a town so small that if you type it into the message app on your iPhone, it will appear as a misspelled word. Yesterday morning, an unfathomably disturbed 18-year-old shot and wounded his grandmother at her home. He then loaded two assault rifles into his truck, fled the scene before crashing near Robb Elementary School. The teenager got out of the truck and with one of his rifles in tow, walked right through the doors of the building that contained second, third, and fourth graders. Children who were looking forward to summer vacations filled with trips, sleeping in, video games, water parks, and friends. After walking through the doors of the school without any resistance, that teenager walked into a fourth grade classroom filled with children and proceeded to fire his rifle into the crowd of stunned and confused students. Kids that had not yet seen their 10th birthday watched as their classmates and teachers were massacred in front of them before being targeted themselves. The gunman would barricade himself in the classroom, and the AP is reporting that one Border Patrol agent arrived on the scene first, That agent reportedly rushed into the school without waiting for backup and shot and killed a gunman who was behind a barricade, according to law enforcement officials, speaking on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to talk about it. Again, this from the AP, the agent was wounded but able to walk out of the school, the law enforcement source said. Marcia Espinoza, a Homeland Security Department spokesperson, tweeted on Tuesday, U.S. Border Patrol agents responded to a law enforcement request for assistance for an active shooter situation inside Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. Upon entering the building, agents and other law enforcement officers faced gunfire from the subject who was barricaded inside. At least one Border Patrol agent was wounded by the shooter during the exchange of gunfire. Or gunfire, excuse me. On and off-duty, Border Patrol agents arrived on the scene to assist with transferring students safely to their families and providing medical support. In the end, 22 people are dead, the gunman, two teachers, and 19 elementary school students, 19 babies. I don't want to ramble here and lose what's important, but I am so devastatingly exhausted from learning the names of towns because of massacres. None of us in South Georgia should know the names of places like Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Roseburg, and Uvalde. There are so many school shootings on Wikipedia that it reads like a sports stat page. Date, town, deaths, 
injuries. Again, I don't want to ramble, so I'll start with my sympathies. To the families, I pray for peace that I know will be long a long time in arriving. What else can you pray for them? Any legislation or change will ring hollow because it will always be too late. They will now be forced to face horror after horror. These people, while waiting to learn whether or not their child had been shot, were asked to provide DNA so investigators could potentially ID the corpses of fourth graders that had been so mangled that they were unrecognizable, just broken bodies. After that trauma and the trauma of waiting to the trauma of receiving the worst news anyone could, they faced the trauma of going home and seeing the empty beds that their babies once slept in. So I pray for peace and rest for their hearts. To the children that survived, I hope you can move on. I hope the nightmares subside and you can find safety in your family. I also hope that as you get older, you do not lose faith in us, though you have every right to. We have to be better, and for all of our sakes, I pray we are. To the families of the teachers that lost their lives, I hope you can take comfort in knowing that your loved ones were heroes long before yesterday. Teaching is a thankless job that only a person filled with selflessness can take. Their impact lives in every child that walked out of that school yesterday. To the first responders that arrived on scene, thank you. We see every day the stories about police officers hurting our citizens, and those stories should absolutely be brought out into the light and judged. But what we don't see every day is the horror that first responders see multiple times a day. Whether in the field or in investigations, the atrocities that you carry with you would bury most of us. To put it simply, someone had to carry the bodies of those dead babies yesterday, and they'll carry those images with them for the rest of their lives. I hope you can find support and a willing ear to talk to. As for what we can change to prevent this, I don't know what the right answer is, but I do know a few things. If your first thought after you learned that 19 babies had been killed by a gunman was, they're going to come after my guns, you need to evaluate your priorities. In that same breath, if your first thought was, I can use this to further my message, you need to sit down and do some evaluating as well. Again, I don't know what the answer is, but one thing I can't get out of my mind is, how does he just walk in there? How does an individual just stride into a building that contains our most precious treasures, our children? How? Shouldn't it be more difficult for a stranger to access the building that contains our children than for a fan to walk into a football stadium? I passed through more security walking into a press box than the shooter faced walking into that school. Every school should be Fort Knox. There's no denomination more important than the lives of our children. I think every person would agree that we would drive on dirt roads if it meant that money was being put towards our children's security. Keep your damn roundabouts. Protect our kids. I am heartbroken, but the reality is the news cycles will move past this when the next story comes up, just like we probably will. But something has to change. Something has to change. No more dead kids. I think you said it all right there. Like I said, uh, you know, it's it's hard enough to talk about this stuff and trying to articulate thoughts in a in a in a decent way, especially when something like this is is this emotional. It, even with people, you don't even know. Yeah. Right. But it's emotional. It's enraging. It's frustrating. It's everything, and uh, it's it's heartbreaking above all, and uh, I, I don't think I can add 
any more than than what you just said because uh, I feel like all of my thoughts are articulated right there. Uh, like you said, how how do they just walk in? Yeah, and uh, I completely agree. What's crazy is I I think we were talking. I kind of echoed the sentiment. You had already had this written down. I think I echoed the sentiment that, that you just said there of, you know, people reacting to this and, and needing to get their priorities straight if you're not thinking anything more than a, about the children, about the families, about how this happened and how we can fix it and not about, well, what about me? Who's who's coming after me? How can I keep everything that I want? But also, uh, you know, that put it out there that the, the, the politicians and things, how can, how can this further my message? How can I use this to get people to vote for me? That's sickening. And uh, I, I would agree that um, if someone's thinking that way and we know they are, um, if someone's thinking that way, then, then yeah, we, we got, we got bigger problems there as well, but well, not bigger problems, but we got problems yeah. there as well. Uh, but this is, this is the biggest problem. Uh, uh, you know, when it comes to something like this. I don't care about sports. I, I don't care about, um, I don't care about a lot of things more, more than I care about how we fix this. And I'm not smart enough to come up with the answers. I know that I don't have all of them. Um, but, but someone the, the needs to. The first answer seems pretty clear, right? Which is someone shouldn't be able to just walk off the street into a school. Absolutely. Completely agree. And I, you know, you start thinking about back when you grew up and and things like that and uh, this has been a problem for a while because you know even then uh, i think in the elementary school i grew up in there were two or three different doors you had to get through and you know secretary and someone else that was sitting there too so at least there was someone but at the same time there should probably should be more now not, not a probably this yeah. this can't happen this can't happen anymore it's happened too many times uh, regardless of what your stances are politically on everything that's surrounding this, I think everyone can get behind the fact that no one should have the ability to just walk into a school. Yep. Again, regardless of your politics, regardless of which side of the aisle you fall on, you shouldn't be able to walk off the street through a door and have access to second through fourth graders. Absolutely. And this is... I know there's a lot of people who who would who would think or, or would come back and say, well, it shouldn't need that type of protection. No one should be having any intention of going in there. And do it. Yeah, you're right. No one should be. People who who think, I don't. People who think clearly and are aren't doing aren't this. looking to cause any trouble. Aren't murdering 19 aren't, aren't doing kids. this yeah. exactly. You don't make the rules. You don't make barricades. You, you don't make um, obstructions. For, for people not to get past four people who are thinking straight. You, you make them for, for this. I've spoken to multiple parents since yesterday who said, one of them said they don't feel comfortable sending their kid back to school until they have an outline discussion and plan that shows how the school would prevent this from happening. Right. But they're all to a person saying that they plan, whether it's at the next student or the next parent meeting, whether it's at the next school board meeting, finding out what, if anything, their schools are doing to prevent this from happening. Mm -hmm. Because the sad reality is it's just another town in a news story until it's your town. Exactly. And this is not fear-mongering. 
It's just reality. Nobody woke up and dropped their kids off at school yesterday expecting that to happen. Right. So it's reality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, 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 your, to your point, it's, it's fear-mongering if what you're talking about and what you're warning people against isn't, is, has never happened or isn't going to happen or isn't happening. It, this, right. is, it, this, is exact, this is a reality, and this has been our reality for too long. For way too long. Yeah. Way too many times. One one time is enough. Um, but uh, obviously it, it hasn't been for some reason, but it, it needs to. Yeah, it needs to change. Yeah, something has to change. But that being said, we're going to take a break. We are going to talk sports today. Just, again, because I understand this is supposed to be an escape, somewhere for you to decompress. Uh, we spoke with the head football coach from Georgia Southern, Clay Helton, yesterday. Uh, taped that interview. You're going to be able to hear that. Coming up next, and then a little bit later, uh, we have some quotes to get into regarding NIL and college football and where that power stance uh, currently stands. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. We are presented to you by the Uniform Source, two different locations in Savannah to take care of all of your uniform needs. Again, coming up a little bit later, I'm going to dive into some comments made uh, by Lane Kiffin in an interview with Sports Illustrated that was... Had to have been done last week before Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, put out his uh, just, just kind of ban on Lane Kiffin speaking to the media just because he didn't want to pour uh, any flames on this current dispute right now between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. But that being said, uh, we did get a chance yesterday to catch up with Georgia Southern head football coach Clay Helton. Uh, he has just passed 200 days since he took over the programming time really flying and really excited to see what Georgia Southern looks like this fall underneath Clay Helton. It's a brand new look uh, in the Sun Belt, and it's going to be a brand new look for the Georgia Southern Eagles on both sides of the ball. So we had a chance to catch up with the head man from Georgia Southern yesterday. This is our interview with Clay Helton. And really one of the more interesting storylines around the country is the new head coaches taking over and what is an ever-changing climate uh, inside of college football and a guy that it seems wild to say, but it's been over 200 days since he took over and we were up in Statesboro to see him officially introduced Clay Helton, uh, kind enough to take some time with us. Coach time flies, man. Oh my gosh. Doesn't he blink your eyes and it's already, it's already May. We're getting ready to start summer access and get summer strength and conditioning going. So, uh, looking forward to it and we'll blink our eyes again. It'll be the first game of the season before we know it. Absolutely. How excited are you just to get to work? making people better. I know there's so many, so much peripheral stuff that you have to do, especially this time of the year. How excited are you just to get back to work? Yeah. You know, we, we've had a little bit of a break here following uh, spring, spring football uh, that finished up in late April, uh, allowing the kids to go through finals and then their discretionary period. And we actually start our strength and conditioning program for the summer access period next week and looking forward to getting the kids back going through that cycle and preparing for a fall training camp. And, you know, it's been an exciting uh, for since joining here in November 2nd of last year, it's been an exciting time, you know, having a chance to really build a new staff, uh, having a chance to, you know, bring 26 newcomers on in December. We're adding a couple more here in late spring, uh, which has been really nice to be able to put this football team together and take it into the 22 season. Uh, it has uh, been 
very, very exciting, very challenging, uh, but a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to all that hard work and investment that these kids are doing, uh, looking to be a successful 22 season. And you mentioned wrapping up spring practice there. When you guys were going into it, what were your main goals that you wanted to be able to come out of spring practice and feel like you had some sort of information? What were you looking for? Yeah, you know, really, as you anytime you build a try to build a championship program, it starts, you know, right when you take the job, you get great people around you, great, great coaches, great support staff, uh, great student athletes, and then you install a culture. And that culture is done through strength and conditioning over a nine week period of time uh, during the winter winter access period. And then, you know, spring football is about Im- implementation of systems. Yeah. You know, and being a new staff, you're looking at a new offensive system under Brian Ellis, a new uh defensive system under Will Harris uh, and a new special teams commitment, you know, under Turner West. So it's really about implementing your systems and getting your kids acquainted to those. Uh, And it took, you know, basically 15 practices, five weeks. I wish we had 1500. But we'll get 25 more uh, come, come fall training camp. But we, we progress so much as a football team, whether it was our culture, whether it was, perfecting those systems and growing within them. Uh, we still got a lot of work to go uh, in, in fall training camp and over the summer, uh, but we are making those steps that are needed to be a successful program. I know we caught up with Coach Ellis uh, after the spring game, and he said really the position group that surprised him the most has been the wide receivers. Just when you come into a team that's in a program uh, that's run the option for so long, typically wide receivers not the first group you think about, but he said he was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, definitely. It was one of the things that we looked at um, when I first got here in November, uh, you know, looking at the kids practice and watching the last three games, uh, being able to be there physically. It was evident that, oh, my gosh, there's some really good skilled athletes, not not only at the wide receiver position, tight end position, uh, running back position, uh, you know, and the wide receivers, especially. I was like, wow, people are going to look up in the 22 season and say, where did these guys come from? Um, and so it being able to change the system to a more balanced style uh, of, of pass and run uh, to be able to give those kids opportunity to be major contributors. I think you're going to see a lot of names jump out this this fall that have been on campus for two to three years that now they're getting their opportunities to contribute at a higher level. Georgia Southern head football coach Clay Helton kind of take some time with us here today. Uh, coach, I want to take you back. Uh, to April, where you see 30 players from the state of Georgia get drafted uh, to go on and play in the NFL. We've t- we've spoken about this before, mm-hmm. just the amount of talent that's within a 100-mile radius from Statesboro mm-hmm. there. But when you're looking at that and you're seeing that talent level and then going out and recruiting and say, hey, this is what we can send to you and we can take you and help you develop you into that NFL talent, what kind of recruiting prowess does that give you just knowing, hey, we're right here? Yeah, you know, it was one of the things that I loved about the job and really intrigued me about the job was the recruiting base. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I was so excited to come to Georgia State yeah. uh, because you knew everything was right here for you. And if you look at our model that we did this past recruiting class, it really is the blueprint for us. You know, we are. We're not going to be a transfer portal team. Uh, we are going to be a development football team. Uh, so when you saw us sign 26 players in December, 22 of the 26 were freshmen. 
We did take four transfer portal guys that we thought were immediate needs uh, because you lose a, a C.J. Wright, you know, to the NFL. He goes out early. Uh, and you bring in a Christian Varner from Hiram, Georgia, from that's via uh, the University of North Carolina. There was a specific need there. But we signed 22 freshmen, and 19 of those 22 were from the great state of Georgia. So you have everything that you need right here to be able to acquire elite talent and to develop that talent at a very young age. So I, I, as we move forward, I think that's what you're going to see from us is the availability to acquire some elite athletes from the state of Georgia, uh, as well as the attached states of Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, uh, and be able to grow uh, young people and develop them into NFL talents. Now, you mentioned the transfer portal there, and I'm sure you didn't miss uh, the news from a couple of your coaching brothers there uh, in the SEC last week. But just at the bottom, I know you are a college football fan. I mean, you're from Gainesville, Florida. It's kind of impossible mm -hmm. to grow up in that area of the country without being a college football fan. And I know you're focused on developing this program. But as you look around just the, I guess, the area of college football, how concerned are you or how excited are you about the future of it? Because I know there's a lot of fans right now that just don't know how to feel. Yeah, you know, I've been doing it 27 years. Um, and so the landscape of football has changed a lot, especially in the last 10 years, you know. And some of the things that uh, that are being done are really advantageous for the student athlete. And, you know, I'd look at, you know, the opportunity to, to have a one-time transfer portal, to gain a six-year, uh, the, the new regulations that even came out with COVID, uh, NIL, you know, it's really benefited the student athlete. And that's a good thing for the game. Now, anytime that you have change, you know, there's going to be new rules and new regulations, and uh, there's going to be a learning and transition period. And we're going through that transition period uh, right now. You know, it's our, it's our job as leaders of young men of 18 to 21 year olds to adapt with the situations that come as the landscape changes uh, and be able to not only continue to develop young men on and off the field, uh, but also to continue to build winning programs, you know? And so uh, having done it 27 years, the landscape has yeah. changed a thousand times. Yeah. It has changed a bunch uh, over the last couple of years and it's been the benefit of the student athlete, which is a good thing. Um, and it's our job as, as leaders, as head coaches, to be able to adapt with it and continue to grow and develop our young men within it. And what are your conversations with your young men? Because I don't know how many people are aware of what it takes to be just a student athlete, number one, getting up 5, 6 a.m. to go to workouts, and then during the season having to be out there at practice on top of all of the full class load that you're taking. And now you throw in the other side of it where – there's going to be people from all angles coming at you, trying to pull you in every different way uh, in terms of sponsorship deals, in terms of opportunities that you have to profit off of your name. What have your conversations been with your players about that? Yeah, obviously there's some opportunities uh, that are out there and it's great to be able to, to be able to use your name, your image and likeness to be able to grow, help your family, help yourself personally. But I always try to remind them, think big picture. Um, you know, when you're talking about gaining wealth, it needs to be over a long period of time. Uh, I know this about football. Football lasts a very short period of time. Yeah. It's about 0.5% make it to the NFL. The average NFL lifespan is 3.3 years right now. So how do, how do I grow and take care of my children's children, you know, when I'm 55, 60 years old? Well, it starts with your degree. 
It starts, it, starts, it starts with your degree and being able to grab your degree and be able to do something outside of the game when the game is over at a very high level. And then if you want to be an NFL football player, remember, if that's the number one priority is to get there, you don't know how much work that takes to be able to be an elite player. So make sure you're focusing on that even as much as all the other attributes that are outside of it, whether it's name, image, and likeness and the people that are coming at you. To be a master of your craft, you have to work at it. You know? And so as, as, as you're successful in the game, obviously opportunities are going to come. So concentrate on being successful in the game. Concentrate on being successful in life after the game with your degree and the things and the network that you create and the opportunities and experiences that you create. And those successes academically and athletically will naturally yeah. Or opportunities. And so um, you try to get them to think big picture uh, and, and think of this thing over a life uh, over a lifespan rather than in just one moment in time or one deal. Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head football coach, kind enough to take some time with us here. Coach, before we let you go, we try to do this with everybody. I got some rapid fire questions if your game. I know you don't mind a hurry up offense. So if your game. Sounds good. All right. Fourth and one to seal the game. What's the play call? I uh, did it in the did it in the championship game, uh, Pac-12 championship game versus Stanford. We allowed Sam Darnold to to run a naked and get out on the perimeter where he could run or throw it uh, to three different receivers, and and uh, ended up throwing it to the tight end for a first down. Do you ever kick a field goal from the one yard line? Uh, not if I could help it. <laughs> coach on the roster that thinks he can still play. That I can play? None. No, coach None. on the roster that thinks he can still play. Oh, my goodness. Uh, without question, I know Ryan Applin and Marcus <laughs> Davis. All right, best high school football player you have ever seen in person? Oh, my goodness. Um, one near and dear to my heart, D'Angelo Williams. Oh, yeah. And finally, coach, I know you know who Ben Troop is. If everyone here at the studio, myself included, tried to tackle Ben Troop in the open field, do you think we could do it? No. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> Clay Helton kind enough to take some time with us here getting ready uh, to kick off their season September 3rd against Morgan State there at Paulson. Coach, we appreciate the time, man, and look forward to talking to you again before the season. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Hell Southern. Again, Clay Helton kind enough to take some time with us there yesterday. Really appreciate him. I know a crazy time. Finally, I guess winding down a little bit uh, from Cruton season, but Kind enough to take some time with us here on ESPN Coastal. If you miss any portion of that interview, uh, just find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube. Uh, you can watch us there as well. So if you miss any portion uh, of Coach's interview there, you can find it wherever you get your ESPN Coastal content. We got more to come. Uh, Going to dive into some Elaine Kiffin's con conversation Excuse me, with Sports Illustrated uh, that came out today and some interesting conversations about an in-division rival there from Lane Kiffin. So we'll dive into all of it next right here on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel alongside P.J. Zuko. There was one coach inside of the SEC that was going to stir the pot even more once Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban started going at each other's throats, I'd give you three guesses as to who that would be, but you'd only need one. As Lane Kiffin spoke with Sports Illustrated yesterday in a vast interview, or I shouldn't say yesterday, it was released, but he spoke to them clearly prior to Greg Sankey putting the kibosh on any coaches speaking to the media about any of this uh, for the foreseeable future. 
But that being said, Lane Kiffin, I have a theory on why he said this, and I don't think it was trying to educate the public on where the sport's heading, but I'll just read to you what Lane Kiffin said again, this courtesy of Sports Illustrated. Why did Bryce Young not go into the portal? (laughs) If you were advising Bryce Young, why do you not go into the portal and walk into Nick Saban's office and say, hey, I want to be here, but I've got to protect myself, so I'm going to go into the portal, and I want to come back as long as it's matched with what I get out there. The kid would make 10 times what he would have made. How's that not going to happen all the time? It should, it will. So that statement right there, I understand from the outside looking in, it looks like Lane Kiffin being like big brain and saying like, here, all this stuff's going to happen. I think this is Lane Kiffin trying to sow seeds of doubt into the minds of other players inside of his division, specifically Alabama. Mm -hmm. Here's what my retort would be, and I believe this to be true. If Bryce Young went out and entered the transfer portal and came back and gave Nick Saban an ultimatum that like, hey, I need to like triple how much money I was making before. Here's what I've been offered to transfer somewhere else. I really believe in my heart of hearts if that number was stupid, or even if it's not, even if he just came back in and made that statement saying, I need you to match this, I believe in my heart of hearts that Nick Saban would tell Bryce Young to kick rocks. I agree a thousand percent. And it's I was so hoping you would say that because like there's just people you don't do that to. There's there's coaches, right? You don't you don't do that to. And if there's one like we're just talking about this this one situation, right? This this one the- theoretical situation. If there's one coach that, yeah, you're an incredible player. You're a special player. Obviously, like, could be the number one pick in the draft next year. Could be a a national champion. Who knows how how the year ends up? But if there is one guy that and one program that can most likely get what they need to out of your next out of the next player or even out of the transfer portal if they absolutely need to it's Nick Saban and it's it's Alabama um yeah heck maybe 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 you you lump in Kirby Smart and Georgia in there too but that's outside the point but no I, I think you're exactly right there's just there's just certain situations you have to read the room and know your situation and know uh who you're dealing with and I think there's absolutely coaches in America, there's a lot of coaches who don't have that pleasure, who don't have uh, that, that yeah, plethora if you, if you are of at, riches. If you were at UCLA, yeah, for example, and you were lucky enough to keep Bryce Young home, right? and he comes in and hits, hits you with that. Chip Kelly, yeah. Chip uh, Kelly it, says fine. Like, Or he'll say, I'll do what I can. Exactly. But I honestly got to think there's head coaches out there who are so stridently against this. Yeah, not against players making money, but against oh. leverages. And we're gonna talk to Matt Brown from Extra Point uh, about this tomorrow. But there's a new dynamic that not a lot of people are talking about, which is football coaches have always had to answer to the athletic director. Now they have another group they have to answer to, which are these collectives. Yeah, and what's even more horrifying about that is these collectives are sometimes going out now, and this has been reported and going after players that the coaches weren't recruiting. Right. So offering Jeez. those players money yeah. 
to come to the school when the coach is saying that's not the running back I want. Yeah, but but it's the one we're going to offer. Right, money and to. so yeah. now, but if you go out and you you pay this money to keep this player, like Bryce Young comes in, demands that much money, and again, this is completely th- theoretical. Bryce Young didn't do it. Lane Kiffin put it out as a theoretical, right? Yeah. Bryce Young has not done this. Doesn't seem like he's going to do anything like this, <clears throat> right? But if the collective pays Bryce Young that money, and then he kind of plays like he did against Auburn for a couple of games, and the offense is starting to stutter a little bit. And I, I know this is seems like it's outside the realm of possibility, but we've seen it happen before. Jalen Hurts led Alabama to a national championship and lost against Deshaun Watson and Clemson, and then the next year he gets replaced in the national championship game against Georgia. Mm-hmm. Very much happened. Right, so Bryce Young comes back, something happens, right? He gets banged up, he gets hurt. Something happens. Now all of a sudden, Nick Saban is rolling with another guy. You get Doug Flutie. Not Doug Flutie. Uh, God, Kevin, who's the guy that Tom Brady replaced? Oh, yeah. Um, now Drew, Drew Bledsoe. Bledsoe. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you get Drew Bledsoe, and another guy comes in, and the offense is starting to click, and now Bryce Young's sitting on the sideline, but the collector's saying, uh-uh, I paid X amount of money to have that dude here. You're not paying him? Or you're not playing him? Yeah. So now you have all these different pressures, or the collective goes out, gets a player, and then the coach just straight up determines he's not as good as another guy on the roster. My job is to win football games. Yep. Period. So it just it's it seems unsustainable to me in that regard. But that being said, the hypothetical that Lane Kiffin put out there, I think that might work on a, a bunch of bunch of teams. But I also think there are a bunch of coaches where that's where they're going to make their stand. Yeah. Where they're going to say, I would rather. And Kirby Smart has has verbalized this when there have been rumors about certain players entering the transfer portal. He said, I'm only going to work with the players that want to be here. Exactly. And I, I like I know there's there's other coaches around the country who don't even have the the plethora of riches and talent that a team like Alabama or Georgia has that say once you're in the portal yeah. you're gone yeah like I, I mean I I agree there's there's coaches that like Kirby Smart said I can't spend the energy on you if you want to come back you can come back there's coaches that are that aren't like that that are just like I can't spend the, en- the energy on you and you're not coming back. If you're off this team, you're off this team go. We you're not coming back to my school. So like there there's there's a whole bunch of different possibilities and a whole a whole bunch of different ways that coaches are 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 looking at this. And again, just because maybe they they look at it in a way you don't agree with doesn't mean they don't agree with NIL or they don't agree with players profiting or anything like that. It's just sometimes they, again, they don't have the time or energy one to spend on trying to recruit a guy back to a school that he's already played for, or he already knows everything about or two, you know, trying to track them down when they're already gone. Uh, So instead it's okay. Bye. It's, it's kind of like a lot of people use, listen, you're giving the players the power. Now you're giving players a lot of power, and I think in a lot of these situations, it's the coaches coming back and say you can have a certain amount of power, but if you come back to me with an ultimatum, yeah, you're gonna figure out who really Hit has the, the brakes, pal. You're gonna figure out who really does have the power and who doesn't. So yeah, it's it's an interesting balance, and I I would 150% agree with you. Back to the original point, if there's one coach I would never walk in to an office and give an ultimatum to. It's Nick Saban. Top five coaches you wouldn't walk into the office and give an ultimatum to. Ooh, um, that's actually that's actually pretty good. Uh, Nick Saban. Yeah. Bill Belichick. Like no, college football can't do coaches. Bill or, college football coaches. Oh. Um, Nick Saban. Yep. 
Mark D'Antoni. He's not Actually, active. He ain't that, active anymore. Okay, th- then Mel Tucker. I'll, I'll take the second one. Fine, Mel Tucker. I wouldn't give that guy. Like, no, he he wouldn't take it. Um, I'll take uh, since you know he's since, you know since he's in the storylines. Just because I don't want to hear him whine anymore, Jimbo Fisher. You imagine that? What? How dare you? That's you're, you're like, gonna oh come in, God, come in here. Up. You're like, just shut up. You're I'm gonna leaving. come in I'm here leaving. with okay, their I'm ultimatum. Leaving. That's I'm despicable. Leaving. I'm sorry, I'm leaving. Think about I'm your leaving. other players. Think about. Think about their families. No, you know who would fold, you know who would fold like a cheap shirt? <laughs> James Franklin. Link, what? Who? Lincoln Riley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a heartbeat. Like it. I, okay, so we have Saban. <laughs> Is that it? Man, I don't know. Yeah, all the like. I wouldn't like, want to walk into like Kirby Smart. Always looks like he's late for that's something. That's true. Like he's like he's like pained by the next activity he has to do. Yeah, and it's like you feel like you are. Causing him a headache by asking for any amount of his time, <laughs> I would not want to be like, "Hey, uh, what?" Uh, there's a bunch of there's a bunch so of that's the thing. What? There's, Spit it out. There's a bunch of coaches that used to be in college football that I wouldn't want to. Like he's not even he doesn't even have the track record that some of these other coaches have, right? But Ed Orgeron, I wouldn't want what? I'm gonna walk in, give that guy an ultimatum? Heck no, that's not gonna happen. Or like one of the greats, right? Like, yeah. like. You know, Bobby Bowden. Well, how, you just feel bad. Walking there trying to give give yeah. an ultimatum, Bobby Bowden. Yeah, right. Yeah, you just feel bad. Get out of here. Brent Price seems like a pretty scary dude. I don't know if I would want to walk. Well, in if his we're talking in that van, one. like honestly, Scott uh, Scott Frost. Just with his neck, yeah, like, neck like the veins like twitching. Yeah, he just kind of stare at you like, what? Okay, I'm sorry, uh, my fault. Are we? we don't, are we realizing there's not a ton of scary football coaches in college football anymore? Not really anymore, no. They're all kind of like, come on, you're going to walk in and be scared of Ryan Day? No. no I'll give that guy an ultimatum all day. Like, Harbaugh. if I'm CJ, I'm a CJ Stroud in I'm a heartbeat, I'm giving that guy an ultimatum. Not scared of Harbaugh by Mel any Tucker means. is a pretty scary-looking dude. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. He's See? got the eyes. He does. He does. He's kind of in that same vein with, like, uh, Scott Frost. What about like, Billy Napier? No, he's not. He doesn't have, like, the grounds yet. No, I don't, I don't think right. so either. I wouldn't I wouldn't be scared of that. You know who's like another I wouldn't want to hear the response of like a Pat Narduzzi. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. I he hates I just, the NIL. He hates He everything. just lost Jordan Addison and you're gonna walk in <laughs> yeah, and, and put down an ultimatum? That's no, true. sir. <laughs> I don't think happen. so. Oh man. Mike Leach, maybe? Mike Leach. What, what, that what, would what, be what, interesting. Come on, what are we doing? I kind of want to to hear his response. It might be negative. I know it might not work, but Reverse I just want to hear what he says. You would walk out of there paying him. More. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you'd be paying him rum and gold what doubloons. What about Brian Kelly? No, I, I don't want to get danced on. Yeah, I don't horrifying. want anywhere near that guy. He's like, hey, you know what? I agree. You need to make some more money. I got a great idea. <laughs> Social media video. You want you want a million views? Let I don't me just kind of let me just kind of dance on you here for a second. I don't want any part of that, man. With my fake southern accent. <laughs> you call, how dare you come into my office here in the great state of Louisiana? You know who might? I come from Notre Dame. You talk about like stares, not even intense, but like you might get like the dumbfounded look with his with his orange old Ooh, school on, sweater. Real, one quick, quick, real quick, Greg Schiano. I don't want to ask that dude for a raise. True. Yeah. Very true. I was gonna say uh, Dabo. Can you imagine uh, the- J- Dabo? I put in the Jimbo Fisher camp. 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it'd just be like, annoying. The stare you'd get, like, what? What? Yeah. You want what? No. We have a slide. We don't do that here. We have a slide. We do not. That's not the Clemson way. No, we have a slide. We're supposed to be a family. We do pizza parties. You know, Jimbo Fisher's complaining about what you're doing to families. What about our family? What about the Clemson family? Why don't want to care about all families? <laughs> we got to take a break. Please don't come to us with an ultimatum that you're going to transfer because we miss you too much. We'll, we'll let come you back. go. Yep. We'll be back after this break. We ain't going anywhere. No ultimatums here on second down. Three and out coming up next right here on ESPN Radio. The guy is going to be joined by Chris Carlin uh, from ESPN Radio, just talking NIL and college football. Also, uh, you'll be able to hear the Chad Lunsford interview if you missed it. Three and out coming up next, Ben Troop and Kevin Thomas. If you missed any portion of our show today, you can check it out on ESPNCoastal.com or wherever you get your podcast. And, of course, Braves baseball coming up a little bit later. Only one way to win three games in a row, and that's to win two in a row. We'll see if they can do it tonight. Braves baseball <laughs> headed your way. Three and out. Up next.